Man, what a message in that song. Brother West, thank you so much for sharing that with us. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, I'm excited because this is Fifth Sunday. And what that means is that we have our, our children in here with us today, don't we? Yeah, guys, we are, we are so glad to have you in worship with us. Let's just let our, our children know that we are... <clears throat> See, some of you remember what I remember, and I remember a time when you could count the kids at Woodland Hills on one hand. Just, I mean, some of you remember that. There was not many kids, and now we about kill 10 every week sliding down the banisters. <laughs> but we're so thankful to see all the kids and the young families that come in, and we're able to worship together. Praise God for what he's doing. Um, Brittany did tell me last week, she said, now you're preaching next Sunday, right? And I said, yeah, baby, that's the plan. <clears throat> she said, well, be careful what you say. And uh, so she gave me what I can say and what I can't say. And then she said, you know, you, you, you used to be a little quicker, but now you've gotten to where you preach. You're like Brother Charles and you preach a long time. She said, next Sunday, you ought to cut it back a little bit. And so I don't know if that's more for the kids or for you older folks, but we're going to be a little quicker today. It's going to be a little different, but uh, I'm excited about it. We're going to have a great time together. If you have your Bible, please find Matthew 26. Matthew 26, uh, we've been looking at the characters leading up to Easter and we're going to continue, and, and my prayer is, it's going to be a little different, but my prayer is that these scenes as we move up to Easter will be as alive in your heart as they have ever been to you. Um, such an incredible time <coughs> of the year as we come together as the church. See, I think the Christian life is essentially a very simple thing to understand. <coughs> it's easy because it's a life of loving Jesus Christ. Simple, love Jesus Christ. It sounds so simple, but sometimes we lose the simple things. It's an ongoing relationship of love between the believer and Christ. Now, we don't have to talk about God's love for us because, you see, that is fixed. It's unchanging, and it's not based on conditions. There's nothing that you or I can do today to make God love us any more than he already does. God's love for you is so great, we cannot even imagine it, we cannot even understand it. And so our point today applies to boys and girls, mamas and daddies, grandmamas and granddaddies. And the question is simply this, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? You see, most people have the idea that the Christian life is simply about how much God loves me. And how much he wants to fulfill my dreams and my desires, and my ambitions, and my objectives, and how God wants to come into my life and make something great out of me, and he wants to lift me up, and he wants to elevate me. But in reality, the Christian life is about loving Jesus. It's about loving him singularly. It's about loving him totally. It's about loving him sacrificially. It's about loving him obediently. It's about loving him in our terms of service. And it's about loving him in the way that we worship. That is what it means to be a Christian. And it's so simple. We don't have to get out the systematic theologies and go through them because it says, love me. In the Old Testament, the Jews have what they call the Shema. And what that is is a prayer that they will quote every morning and every evening. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
And, and it's very simple. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. How foundational that is. Just love God. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember what he said? The greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What matters for us this morning, what matters for your family and for your life, and what matters for our church more than anything else in the world is that you can say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus Christ. That's more important than the amount of money you have in the bank. It's more important than the job that you have. It's more important than where you live in life the simple question do you love the lord jesus christ do you want to serve him do you want to be with him do you want to tell others about him it is a question of the heart now somebody out here is getting nervous and i can see it you get nervous because you say now case you can't make it so easy you're making it too easy. There's more to it. But see, that objection does not understand what love does. Remember what Jesus says? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my word. He says, if you love me, then you will feed my sheep. And what we want to do is we want to get legalistic and say, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to fulfill this task list. You've got to fulfill these objectives. You've got to do what I can see. But what separates Christianity from everything else is it's not about what we can do, but it's about what he has already done. And because of what he has already done, we come to him in love and in gratitude, and that love leads us to a life of service. That love leads us to a life where we will honor him with everything that we are but it does not happen from the outside in it happens from the inside out and so there's a lot of folks who see Christianity as a list of chores I've got to go to church I've got to give money I've got to go to small group but when you fall in love with Jesus you say I get to go to church you say I get to go to my small group you say, I get to have a part of the kingdom of God work by giving sacrificially. And so it changes your whole outlook on life. So again, the question for all of us this morning is, how much do you love Jesus? But there is a problem. And the problem is that we can love Jesus and we can still mess up. Anybody? We can love Jesus and we can still have a time in our life that we say, man, I cannot believe I did that. What was I thinking? And there's some of us in here today, and there's something that happened in our life years ago, but there's not a morning that we don't wake up, and it's the first thing that we think about. There's a poor decision. There was a poor choice. There's something that we did years ago, but we still cannot move on from it. And so I want us to look and evaluate, how does God respond when we fail? How does God respond when we mess up? And how should we respond when we see those failures in our life? And so we're going to do that by looking at the life of Peter. Life of Peter, the disciples are listed four times in the Bible, once in Matthew, once in Mark, once in Luke, and once in Acts. And every time, Peter's name is first. Peter is the leader of the disciples. And many of you can relate very well to Peter because when Peter was thinking something, he said it, just like many of you. 
Peter was going through life, and he often found himself doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, getting caught up in things he shouldn't have, just like many of us. So I believe we can relate very well to the life of Peter. He is a leader, and he is a spokesperson and we're just going to look through the, the, the final events leading up to the crucifixion from the perspective of Peter. It's going to be a little different than what you're used to, but I hope that it comes to life for you like it has for me this week. So let's first look at the bold profession of loyalty. <clears throat> the bold profession of loyalty. It is the night that is leading up to his arrest, and Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's in the upper room, and he tells the disciples that one is going to betray him. Now, we know who that is. It's Judas. Judas has already worked behind the scenes, and he has already sold out Jesus for the price of 30 pieces of silver. And so Jesus says, this is what's going to happen in uh, your life. This is what's going to take place. And then they have the Lord's Supper together, they sing a hymn, and they begin to go out to the garden. And as they're on this journey to the garden, look at verse 31, Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus says, you're all going to defect. You're all going to fall. Literally, you will all be offended. And I know many, you've heard this so many times, but just imagine, these are the closest friends that Jesus has. These are the men who have eaten countless meals with Jesus. They have laid beside him as he sleeps. They have been committed when others have run away. And Jesus looks to them and he says, you will all fall away on account of me. You're going to fall away. You're going to go. And then it goes on and he says, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In other words, it's going to be temporary. It will not be long lasting. It is a temporary stumbling. And this gives Peter the opportunity to boast. Verse 33, Peter answered him and he said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I like it because I'm thinking, he looks around at these guys, and he thinks about James and John. And he remembers when they wanted to call down fire from heaven. And so he laughs, and he says, I, I know they may fall away. And then he thinks about Andrew, his brother, and, and how fickle Andrew is. And he says, I know Andrew might fall away, but Jesus, I'll never fall away. Jesus, I am committed to you. I am with you in the good times, and I'm with you through the bad times. He's adamant, and he's confident that he could never betray his Lord and his Savior. And Jesus responds, and he says, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter, in just a matter of a few hours, you're going to deny me not one time, not two times, but three times, Peter. Peter, you're so boastful and you're so confident, but I'm telling you, you're going to deny me even more than the rest. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Man, what a profession of faith. He looks in the eyes of Jesus and he says, Jesus, if I have to die with you, I'll do it. But I will not deny you. 
And I believe that he meant that. I believe that as he said these words, it was true to his heart. And the thought of denying Jesus was just too much. The thought of not being faithful, of not being true, of not being loyal, of not being committed. He's probably a little bit hurt because of this accusation. And he says, hasn't my loyalty shown you anything? Jesus, I've been with you and I will be with you. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go to the ends of the world with you. Jesus, if I've got to die with you, so be it. I'll do it. And then they're going out to the garden and they go to the, the garden and the disciples stay and pray. And remember, Peter, James, and John, <coughs> they go a little further and they begin to pray. And Jesus goes and he begins to pray to the Father. And, and there's so much turmoil about the events that are about to take place that the Bible tells us his sweat glands begin to take in blood because his blood vessels burst and he begins to sweat droplets of blood. And he's praying and he says, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, Please take it. And he goes back and he finds his disciples. What are they doing? You remember? They're asleep. He wakes them up. He goes again. He comes back. They're asleep again. And so this cycle continues while Jesus is in this great turmoil. But then verse 45. Verse 45, Jesus, Jesus says, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners Rise, let us be going, because my betrayer is at hand. Now remember, our perspective is from Peter. And so imagine as Peter wakes up, and he looks, and he sees a crowd is coming their way. A crowd, and they have swords, and they have clubs, and they're carrying these lanterns and these lights with them. And there's this multitude, and they're coming towards Jesus. And Peter's watching, and he stands up, and he stands by Jesus. And he watches as Peter, one of his best friends, comes and he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And then a guard comes and he begins to lay his hands on Jesus. And what does Peter do? Without thinking, without hesitating, he pulls out his sword and he swings it at the man. And the man ducks at the last minute and he takes the man's ear off. And Jesus reaches down and he picks up what's left of that man's ear and he puts it on his head. And the bleeding stops. And, and you've got to just imagine that there is silence in that moment. You just can't believe it. This man lost his ear and Jesus put it back on his body. And then Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And eventually they take Jesus and they take him away. And at that, the Bible says that all the disciples left him, verse 56, and they fled they ran as fast as they could. They ran as far as they could. They didn't know if they were next. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't know what was coming. And so they ran as long and as hard and as fast as they could possibly run. They were scared for their lives. But there was something different with Peter. You see, Peter could not just run. He had to see what was happening to Jesus because he loves Jesus so much. And so he kept his distance, but he, he kept Jesus <clears throat> in his sight and he ended up in this this courtyard area there's a courtyard and there's people and there's a, a fire and there's a, a gate and he comes up in this courtyard area and he's trying to keep his distance so that people will not recognize him and that people will not see him but look at verse 69 <clears throat> it says now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard 
And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. A little servant girl comes up. I, I know you. You were with Jesus. And he just says, hey, lady, you don't know what you're talking about. That, that, that didn't happen. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. It's Peter, the, the one who, who proclaimed who Jesus was when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Peter was the one who said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. This is what the church is built upon. But now to this little young girl, Peter backs away like a coward and he says, I don't know that man. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. I've been there. We've been there. There was a time when we should have stood for Christ, but we didn't. There was a time when we should have been bold in our faith, but we didn't. There was a time that a joke was told that we should not have laughed at, but we laughed. There was a time that there was a show on television that we should not have found entertaining, but we did. There was a time that we should have shared our faith, and the Lord was leading us to that moment, but we did not take the opportunity. And so he denied Jesus. And then it goes on. It happens again the next time. Verse 71. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now she's not saying it to Peter. She's saying it to all those around. This man was with Jesus. This man right here, get him. He's with Jesus. But this time it says with an oath, he denies his affiliation with Jesus. He says, I do not know the man. I swear to you, I don't know this man. You see, it gets easier to deny. It's easier the second time than it was the first time. And it's easier the third time than it was the second time. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Once, twice, three times. And each time Peter is more bold in his denial. And each time Peter loses more and more courage. And just right on cue, the Bible tells us, and the rooster crowed immediately. Immediately, right on cue, right on signal, we read that the rooster <clears throat> crowed. But there's something that we miss in Matthew. You see, Luke 22, verse 61, it says, The rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Just imagine that you're Peter. Imagine you have denied once, you've denied twice, and now you are yelling and you're saying, I do not know that man, I swear to you, I don't know that man. And then you hear the rooster crow, and in that moment you remember what Jesus had said, and you turn your face towards Jesus, and as you turn your face, you catch his eyes from a great distance, and it seems like time stands still. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been somewhere in public and you catch eyes with somebody and all of a sudden it's like time just stops? There's noise, there's distractions, but in that moment everything stops and you're just zoned in eye to eye. 
And Peter is looking straight into the eye of his Lord and Savior, the one that he loves, the one that he's committed to, and the one that he has betrayed not once, not twice, but three times. And it's got to be just too much to handle in that moment. And so the Bible says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He goes out and he weeps. He is broken. He is at this point of destruction in his life because he says, I don't know how I could have done that. I messed up so badly. Now, some of us, we know what that's like. You've been there. You've done something. We've done things. And we say, how did I do that? What was I thinking? How could I ever move on past this point? How, How could God ever use me past this point? It's just almost too much to handle, and it's almost too much to bear. Let me let, me let Peter tell his story. I love this. Watch this. Watch this with us. They say a rooster crowing is God's wake-up call. Yeah, that's, uh, at least that's the way it was for me. Everything, that, that whole night was a blur, all right? Um, I didn't comprehend... None of us could comprehend everything that was going on, all right? We were all in the upper room. Jesus was washing our feet. Um, Then we were in the garden. Jesus goes off to pray by himself. I fell asleep. I'm not proud of it. had a big meal. Bread makes me sleepy. Next thing we know, me, James, and John, Jesus is in our face, and he's trying to wake us up, and uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, the, the, uh, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. And, and then before we know it, Judas is kissing Jesus on the cheek. I try to go help him. I cut off this guard's ear. For the record, I wasn't aiming for his ear. I'm a fisherman, not a swordsman. And then they, uh, they arrest Jesus, and they take him off. And we, we ran. And it wasn't but two hours earlier that we were in the upper room. I was looking at him. I was looking him right in the eye saying, if everyone disowns you, Jesus, I won't. I'm with you. I love you. And I think that's what made me stop, turn around, go back. And uh, I caught a glimpse of Jesus as they were taking him to the high priest's house. Stood at the gate, and some girl comes up to me, starts pointing at me, starts going, you, you're with him. You're with this man that claims to be the son of God. You're one of his disciples. I felt like every eye was on me. So I just brushed her off. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. You got the wrong guy. I get my way into the courtyard, and uh, it's cold. I, I try to warm up by the fire. And then there's this guy that recognizes me, and he is uh, from the ear incident, you know, and starts going, get him, get him, he's with him. Just arrest him, get him. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, all right? I wasn't with him. It was easier the second time to deny him. It was sometime right before morning, and um, this wise guy, he 
comes up to me and goes, who are you kidding, all right? Who are you fooling? You're with him. I can tell by your accent. I'm like, this is just the way I talk, all right? And, and the whole night, they kept pushing him around. They kept beating him. They kept spitting on him, throwing insults at him. And I couldn't take it anymore. I had enough. I was tired of people accusing me, looking at me. And I, and I just I said a few things that I'm not proud of, but I was like, leave him alone. You don't know what you're doing, all right? Just leave him alone. I wasn't with him. And that's when I heard the most blood-curdling sound I ever heard in my whole life. I heard that rooster crow. And at that moment, Jesus, he turns around and he looks at me. He looks at me. And his gaze, you can't escape his gaze. I mean, when his eyes are on you, you cannot escape it. And they arrested him and they took him off. I will die with you, Jesus, as everyone did. If everybody disowns you, I will die with you. What a, what a joke. I mean, what would you do? At that moment, at that time, I ran. I ran so fast, I ran so long. And you know what they did? They killed him. He's dead. So Peter's in a, a difficult, difficult place in his heart and in his life. He's in a place that, that some in here, this is where you are. Right here, you're at this place to where you, you've done something wrong, you made a mistake, you've done something in your past. And maybe it was days ago, weeks ago, months ago, years ago, but it's still all that you think about. And every time you hear talk about the kingdom of God and being used for the kingdom of God, you say, man, that's great and that's awesome, but it can't be through me because I've done this. It can't be through my life because I've done this. It can't be through my family because we've had this or we've been a part of this or we've got this baggage or we've got these excuses or we've got all this stuff that's going on behind us. And so God can work and God can do mighty things, but I've blown it for my life. And there's some that, that, that you won't say that, you, you won't agree with it, but that, that's how you feel. But what I'm thankful for, and this is for boys and girls and mamas and daddies and everybody in between, what I'm thankful for is Peter's story is not over. Turn to John 21. John chapter 21. He's failed. How could I do this? John chapter 21. Peter goes back to the only thing that he knows. He spent the last, the last years following Jesus. But now Jesus has been crucified his whole life is, is turned upside down. What is he to do? Where is he to go? He goes back to what he knows, and that's fishing. And so he's on the, he's on the boat. He's fishing. Jesus comes, says, hey, fisherman, why don't you throw your net on the other side? And the fishermen have got to be thinking, hey, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. And so, but they listen, and they, they bring all these fish in, 
And the Bible says that Peter looked, and when he realized it was Jesus, you know what he did? Y'all catch this out. Kids, check this out. He jumped out of the boat, and he began to swim as fast as he could to get to Jesus. He couldn't wait for the boat. He couldn't wait for the anchor to come up. He, he jumped off the boat, and he's running as fast as he can to Jesus. Catch this, though. It was not Peter who went to find Jesus. It was Jesus who came to Peter. It's always the way it is. It is Jesus who seeks after us. It is Jesus who is seeking after me. It is Jesus who is seeking after you in your life. And so Peter comes to the shore, and there's Jesus. He loves Jesus so much. The Bible says they eat a little meal together, and then Jesus asked a question. And it's the most simple question in the world. It's such an easy question. It's such a, a, a just, just simple little question. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He didn't say what I would have said. Here's what I would have said. Peter, I cannot believe you denied me not one time or two, but three times, Peter. Peter, I thought we were friends. How could you do that? Peter, you're the worst friend ever. That's what I would have said. Jesus doesn't even say that. He doesn't even bring it up. He comes to Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? One question, one question that will change your entire life, your entire life. Do you love Jesus? So simple. Do you love Jesus? And so look at it, chapter 21, verse 15. <clears throat> Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the Bible says, and Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Three times. It reminded him of his denial. Jesus, you had to ask me the third time. That reminds me of what I did to you. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. You know what Jesus is saying? Simon, I know what happened. I know what you said. I know what you did. I know you messed up. But Peter, do you love me? Because if you love me, then I've still got a plan for your life. Peter, do you love me? Because if you love me, I've got work to do through you and through your life. Peter, do you love me? It's a simple question, but if you can confirm that, if you truly love me, then Peter, I will change the world through you. The greatest thing that any of us have in this room is a love for Jesus. Because when we have a love for Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and empowers us to do great and mighty things. And so he doesn't ask a deep theological question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And then grace was working in the life of Peter. Okay. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. 
Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there and I'm looking at that tomb and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. What is it that made the difference in the life of Peter? I believe it was love. He loved Jesus. And because he loved Jesus, nothing else really mattered. His failures didn't matter. His, his faults, it didn't matter. Because he loved Jesus, and Jesus had a plan for his life. <clears throat> He messed up. He boasted too much. He prayed too little. He acted too fast. He followed from too far away. But Peter was no disaster because grace was operating in his life. And the same is said of, of you and me if we truly love Jesus. We might mess up. 
We might mess up big along the way, but he's not done with us. 1 John 4, it says, we love him because he loved us first. And so again, it's very simple. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you seek his honor? Do you seek his glory? Does your heart grow in affection towards him? Do you desire to please him, to exalt him, to love him, to worship him, to commune with him, to hear from him? Do you love Jesus? Remember when uh, in John chapter 6, many of the the followers were leaving, and Jesus looked to the the 12. He said, do you want to go away also? And Peter responded, where shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? I'm with you. I'm committed to you. Christ, Christ was all to Peter. Christ mattered greatly to Peter because Peter loved Jesus Christ with all of his heart. He loved, he believed that he was the son of God. And when his eyes met the eyes of Jesus on that night, it crushed him, but it crushed him into repentance. And his life was never the same. What happened to Peter? Well, he went on to be almost the foundation of the church. He went on to to just carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the, the world at the time. And when he wrote a letter, he said this. He said, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so he went on and he was preaching and he was preaching and he preached, he was preaching and he would not stop until finally they said, Peter, if you don't stop, we're going to kill you. And he kept on preaching. Tradition tells us that they took his wife and they crucified his wife in front of his eyes and he yelled out for her to remain faithful. And then they took Peter and they were going to crucify Peter as they did Jesus, but Peter made a request and he said, I'm not worthy to die the same matter of death as Jesus. So he asked to be crucified upside down with his head toward the ground. And he was. And to his very last breath, he was proclaiming this truth. I love Jesus. What matters the most in the life of Peter is not his flaws. It's not his failures. It is his love for Jesus. And I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. The most important question you could ever answer in your entire life. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? You see, for some in here, it may be that the Lord has just used his word this morning. And you know that you don't have a relationship with Christ. And you need to be saved. You're lost. Maybe it's a a, a boy or a girl. Maybe it's a mom or a dad or a grandparent. And you've been doing church and you've been doing all the church stuff and all the works. But you say, you know what? I've never had this true, genuine relationship with Jesus. And today is the day you can feel the Holy Spirit is drawing you to salvation. And today's the day. Maybe you're here and you relate to Peter well. And you say, I I know I love Jesus. I know I've got a relationship. But I haven't been living for him in my life. I, I messed up along the way. I got my priorities out of line along the way. And what I need is I need a time of recommittal. I need a time to say, Lord, I do love you. Lord, I will feed your sheep. Lord, I will use my life to honor you. 
And so maybe the Lord is calling you to that this morning, to commit to live a life that honors God above all else. And maybe for you that, that's to join a church and to plant your family right here to serve God. I don't know what it means to you, but I'm asking and I'm pleading with you, be faithful to what God calls you to. Answer the call of God in your life. God, we thank you for this time we've had together. Lord, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. We thank you for the life of Peter. God, how it challenges us, but it also encourages. Lord, I pray for, for those here who are not sure of their salvation. I pray they will be able to leave this place with confidence, God. Lord, I pray for those who have been distracted in life, God, that they will recommit and they will live totally for you. Lord, I pray for those who, God, they they messed up in the past. They've had a failure, and they've not been able to get past it. I pray you will give them a new start, a new beginning, just like you did with Peter, to say, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. You're not done. You're not junk. You're not a failure, and I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. So, Lord, I pray we leave this place motivated to honor you. Lord, would you have your will in this invitation? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? As we sing together. Amazing grace, how sweet.